As I mentioned, I'm going to uh, set up a few ideas from the book, The Energy of Money, before, uh, before Moni comes up and shares a little bit more about the hero's journey. So a man was using a, an ATM. We all know, we, we all use ATMs, right? And uh, he received his cash and he, and he sneezed twice and the woman standing beside him, behind him said, you must be allergic to money. And he said, no, 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 no. I just suffer from withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> one more, one more. So a, a, wife, uh, a wife says to her husband, uh, honey, when was the last time we received uh, a letter from our son? And the husband says, just a second, I'll go look in the checkbook. <laughs> Anybody relate? <laughs> oh, yeah. Money is the background music of our life, isn't it? Thoughts about money are constant. We're either thinking about how little we have, worrying about the future, planning to purchase something, budgeting, lending, borrowing, spending, saving. See all the ways that money is a part of our life? That's a lot of action around money, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. Money is a big object of our consciousness, to use a term we learned during our, during our teaching on the untethered soul, right? Money is an object of our consciousness. And when we become aware of how much energy we consume thinking about, dreaming about, scheming about money, it is rather eye-opening. Everything we want to do or be is intertwined with money. We just take it for granted sometimes. But what is relevant to those of us, all of us here, on a conscious spiritual journey is to see money as a form of energy with which we have a relationship. The author, uh, Dr. Maria Namath, says, we live in a universe made up of energy and surrounded by energy. Because we all share in the universal energy that unifies us, no compartment of life is shut off from another. Every aspect of our lives has a reflection in every other aspect. This means how you do money is how you do life. Our relationship with money is a metaphor for our relationship with all forms of energy. And she specifically talks about the energy of time, physical vitality, enjoyment, creativity, and the support of friends. So thinking about and treating money as a form of energy that we are in relationship with can shift dramatically the trajectory of how money goes from being an object to being a vital form of energy that can dramatically impact us. And she, so she further says, whatever is potent for us, and I think everybody put up their hands when I said, who has any issues with money? Whatever is potent for us, whatever elicits strong emotions, whatever seems to hold on to us in life has the power also to bring forth our greatest strengths and most remarkable qualities. That's a, that's a, a, a concept that's not unlike what we talked about when we explored the shadow, right? When we, when we explore our shadow qualities and there's a lot of stuff about money in our shadow, when we can face it, embrace it, and see the gifts in it, it has the power to really bring forth transformation. So she says our relationship with money calls on us to wake up, to see how we are handling 
all kinds of energy. And so there's 12 principles that she talks about in the book, and we're not going to go into them, but I wanted to note that there are 12, and we'll be speaking about them intermittently, and they are available on a green card for you to take with you. In the They're in the giving basket, so if you want to pick one up during the gratitude celebration. So just, you know, just to see quickly what they are, and today it's about your greatest power to be willing, and then we talk about intentions and, and our standards of integrity, how that harnesses the energy of money, goals. And then, and then we get into this area where we really talk, where she really talks about releasing the stuff that we carry about money, you know, driven behavior, scarcity, feelings of scarcity and transforming those inner blocks. And then we get into releasing old beliefs, forgiveness, the role of forgiveness and money. And then what I talked about last week, making and keeping prompt. Oh no, making, yeah, making and keeping promises moves you along your path. Sorry, the next one's obstacles that can lead to breakthroughs. Mutual support increases our power. And then the gateway to abundance is gratitude. So these are all covered in the book. So those of you studying the book, you'll know that these are really important. And she goes into a lot of great detail about how, how we can manifest a better relationship with money when we're, when we're paying attention to these 12 principles. So what I wanted to, to, to touch on again before Moni comes up is I, w- I wanted to spend a little bit of time on something that's very important early on in the book. And, and, and she says that, you know, she doesn't exactly say it this way, but this is me paraphrasing. To use the energy of m- money requires us to recognize that, and we talk about this all the time in Unity, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And this requires us to operate in both realms, the physical reality of the five senses of the human experience and the metaphysical reality of the spiritual experience. And, and then she talks about the, our, our relationship with money or, or really with anything we are hoping to manifest in our lives to be a hero's journey. And the energy of money is no exception to that. And she shares a process through a diagram that I want to quickly refer to. Um, and this is a, a diagram that I've recreated. And, and what I want to show you here is that it's really about we have the metaphysical reality and then we have the physical reality. So the physical reality is the, is the, is the you know, the, the, the realm of stuff where, that, where energy is coalesced into, dense, into, into denseness, into things, houses, you know, uh, jobs, you know, trips, et cetera, et cetera. And then the metaphysical reality is the is is that realm of undifferentiated energy in unity we 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 speak about it as being the realm of substance of divine substance that invisible eternal infinite source where uh, where everything comes from right that's not anything new to anybody who's been coming to unity for a while and you see these are dotted lines right and these are dotted lines because because the movement of energy is permeable is permeable right so what, what's important here is when we think of money, we tend to think of it in, in, in the physical realm, and that's absolutely appropriate. It's also the realm where we can think of it as being kind of a little bit, I, I know I have, a little bit mundane. It's the, it's the realm where we take action and we balance our checkbook and we got to figure out, you know, how much money's coming in and where's it going and all that stuff. And this is an area where, having done some of the exercises in the book, I know I have work to do. I can go unconscious because I'm a really big picture person. But the author says, knowing how much we are owed, this, this one really struck me, knowing how much we are owed by our children 
can seem nitpicky, but going numb can also be disastrous. So these small and mundane things count for a lot in the physical domain. And then this other aspect of reality, which we call the metaphysical reality, this is the realm of ideas. This is the realm where we're imagining, oh, I would, you know, I would love to have a happy life and all the money I could spend and give and, and you know, I'd love to have long vacations. This is where I'd love to, you know, do, do better, you know, do more volunteer work and raise money for this and that, okay? So this is, this is where, this is where, you know, we, we, we operate when we're using our power of imagination, right? Our power of faith, our visioning exercises. And so what happens though, what, this is sort of the realm of brainstorming. What can happen is that our ideas don't get traction until we apply the power of intentions, and so this is where this is where you know we go through the work of really deciding what do we value, what's important in our lives, where do we you know how, how do, what do I want to be? I want to be a a gifted spiritual teacher. I want to be a loving mother. I want to be a kind and compassionate uh, person of service. And then those intentions act as energy shunts, if you will, from the metaphysical to the physical. And I think what's really important here is where we encounter problems, and I, and I think that a lot of the popular literature and movies around the law of attraction haven't done us any favors in this area because it's kind of like, well, if you just think positive, then, you know, it'll all happen. And, and, and the more useful interpretation of the, of the metaphysical and the physical reality is that the effort is more expended here to, to, to vision but also to clear, you know? The, the, the popular stuff about the law of attraction doesn't really talk about how we need to clear, how we need to clear the blocks. And this is where the principles around forgiveness and, and gratitude and release and, 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 and understanding where our blocks are, that's what we need to clear in the metaphysical realm in order to then take action in the physical realm. So this is all about the clearing, the understanding, and that's why we come to unity, really. We come to unity to unlearn, right? To learn, to learn and then unlearn all of that stuff that's blocking us so that we can then take those, those intentional actions toward fulfilling our dreams. And we, and, and we have to do both. If we do one without the other, it'll, it'll remain in the realm of dreams. So it's like putting feet on our prayers, right? doing but putting feet on our prayers um and then and then i love i love what she says trouble at the border <laughs> anybody ever had trouble at the real border yeah so trouble at the border is when we get stuck we're we're, we're bringing the ideas and we we've got an idea of something we would like to do and this is where our fears and our doubts and our inertia you know it's like oh i had this great idea and now i actually have to take steps and so it's, it's, it's inevitable, she says. Trouble at the border is inevitable. And if we can accept that and embrace the discomfort and understand what that is, then we move through it. Okay? That the doubts, the fears, the inertia, the monkey mind chatter. I can't do this. I've never made this amount of money before. How can I ask for this? If I give all this money, well, will I, will I blah, 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 you know? So... So it's about really analyzing and understanding what those things are for us. And so she says, it's really important to ask, what is my relationship with money? How well have I used its energy? How is this a mirror for the way I handle other forms of energy in my life? 
These may be the most important questions you will ever ask. When you know the answers, your path to a fulfilled life will become clearer, as if a knowledgeable, kindly guide had forged ahead of you into the wilderness, clearing a road just for you. I love that. And so she, she awakens it to a hero's journey. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to the knowledgeable, kindly guide who's going, to, who's going to explore with us how this journey of getting real with our, with our relationship with money is very much a hero's journey. So Monia, welcome. Welcome. Well, thank you for that wonderful introduction and that wonderful welcome and all the blessings that I've received this morning. It truly is a gift and, and a pleasure to be here once again um, to offer some insights and some thoughts. Now, actually, I just want to have a, a basic understanding. How many have read this book by Maria Namath? Oh, or are reading or in the process of reading this book. Okay, those who have, have you begun to do any of the exercises? Okay. Well, I can tell you that um, when Roxanne first approached me to, to take a look at this book and to be collaborating in this endeavor with her, I thought, Ugh, money. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, it's like, seriously, I mean, I have spent so much time <laughs> in my spiritual journey dealing with money and doing all the cleaning around money and all of my beliefs and values around that. It's like, seriously, do I really have to look at this again? So I felt a little bit of a resistance, but... Um, as someone like all of you who are here who has dedicated her life to being on the spiritual quest, I have also learned to pay attention to what's in front of me. So if this comes up and I'm encountering resistance, that is one of the clearest signs to me to pay attention. So as much as I think or I believe I have done a lot of healing work, um, clearly the universe is saying to me, well, perhaps there's something further to explore. And since my highest goal is to actually clear the path, whatever blocks, beliefs, limitations I have within me so that I may be a clearer channel, so that I may be of greater service, well, of course, I'm going to pay attention no matter how my mind, the monkey mind, says, nah, you've done all the work, you don't have to worry about it, okay? Now, one of the first exercises... Um, that actually before I get to that I want to touch on the hero's journey I actually love that metaphor do, do you actually know where the hero's journey comes from do you actually know no okay it's actually it's a concept that came from an author by the name of Joseph Campbell and he wrote a book called a hero with a thousand faces and essentially he says any of your favorite stories fables tales movies Star Trek Star Wars uh, Wizard of Oz whatever it is that you love every story is following the arc of the hero's journey you have a hero who, as, who faces something, has to go on a quest. On the quest, they're having to face challenges, demons, monsters. They have to overcome those challenges. And then they come out on the other end wiser. Wiser, more powerful. They've gathered all the knowledge and the wisdom that they have from the journey. So they become a hero. That's where that comes from. Now, related to money, it's a very powerful metaphor. Because um, what's the hero doing? The hero is setting out on the quest so that they can test the limits of who they are. They can test the limits of what they believe. And that requires great courage. requires great courage to face your demons, to face your beliefs, to face all of that discomfort, and especially when it comes to money. I believe there is no greater courage required than to test that and delve into what it is that you hold dear about money. Okay, amen to that, thank you. <laughs> um, 
the hero's journey, it's interesting what she says about uh, the hero's journey. She says, and I agree with that, because it's about calling on all aspects of who you are. It's uncovering the true being, your true sense of what you believe and who you truly are. And she says, the hero's journey calls us, calls on us to bring forth the power of being, which is a power which emerges in moments of extraordinary insight or heroism. You don't know how powerful you are. You don't know what you're capable of until you face those challenges and those limitations like a hero, those demons, those monsters. The hero strives to bring the qualities of being to whatever she does, he or she does, including his or her relationship with money. Okay? So this journey begins with, and the book begins with, trying to understand who you are, what you stand for, what you value. And um, for those of us here who, have, who are on this spiritual quest, knowing what your values are and knowing what you stand for and understanding your intentions, if they're not already defined within you, you're, it's something that you're working on all the time anyways. You're, you're asking yourselves those, at least I am. I ask myself, you know, is this aligned with who I am? Is this aligned with, I believe, what, with what I believe and who I claim to be in this world? So I wasn't keen to kind of, okay, let me state out my intentions. Let me do the exercise of the values. But it did surprise me in one thing. I did the exercise. Why? Because I was willing. <laughs> I said I would be willing. And so I did the exercise of intentions and the exercise of writing out my values, what she calls um, the integrity, standards of integrity. And one of my core principles are, is values is truth, being truthful. And I'll tell you what happened when I actually wrote down all my, in, all my values. Um, about a, a couple of weeks earlier, I had gone to Kardish. I had picked up some items there and paid with my credit card, came home. Everything was okay. The next day, I get a call from uh, someone there and says, we don't understand what happened, but for some reason, we thought your credit card went through. It didn't go through. So um, we're going to check on our end, but can you also check on your end to make sure that the transaction went through? And if it didn't, can you please come into the store to, uh, to pay for it? It's funny, the thought in my head right now is, cha-ching, gift from the universe. <laughs> but then I said, okay, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. She goes, but I'll call you back and I'll follow up. I said, sure. And I wrote it on my list of things to do, to check into. I wrote it down, but you know, it wasn't a priority, and so it just kind of stayed there. Um, until I was, and I never followed up, I lost, I lost track of it. Until I did this exercise, and I realized, oh, one of my key values is truth. So I thought, hmm, well, let me follow up. Let me go back, let me check my credit card statement first. So I went through, checked my credit card statement, and it wasn't on, the, on my list. So hmm, it didn't go through. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go to the store, and I'm going to explain what happened. So I went to the store. I didn't remember who had, who had who was it, served me. And so I explained to the lady who was there, the young woman, um, what the situation was and what was happening. And she just kept looking at me going, are you coming back to pay? <laughs> 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 like for something that could have been a mistake? I said, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. And she was just kind of stunned <laughs> looking at me like she didn't understand. And then I could see the tears in her eyes. And then she said, thank you for being so honest. And I said, thank you. And I understood that it wasn't about her. It even wasn't about that. It was about declaring and acting in consequence to who I say I am. And that was a very powerful 
experience. Even though, again, for someone who thinks they know who they are and they act in consequence, that was something that surprised me going through that exercise. Now, when it came to doing the what's called the money autobiography, <laughs> in fact, that is the very first thing you're supposed to do. But I skipped ahead. <laughs> it's like, oh, too, too intense. Look at my childhood, my relationship with my father, my mother, money. Uh, how did I get my allowance? How much money was I paid? It's like, please. Like the questions seemed endless. Like, I'll come to it later. And I actually did because once again, I, could, I said I would be willing. And when you commit on that level to say, I am willing, you have to follow through. And I am going to follow up on what Roxanne said as your greatest power. And it's funny that we both quote the same thing. It's very similar. And I grabbed a couple of pieces because it goes on for a long time. Um, the greatest, your greatest power is to be willing. And being willing is simply the power to say yes. It's as simple as that, saying yes. Even in the midst of doubts, worries, fears, dislikes, objections, and all of the monkey mind conversations that tell you why you shouldn't do it. Um, it gives you everything that you need to develop a powerful relationship with money because being willing calls forth who you are in your heart. No one can touch that. No mind can touch the core of who you are in your heart. And that transcends the chattering mind. It is your ticket to a life of creativity power and fulfillment. So I said, all right, <laughs> I'll do it. And so I began the process of writing out my money autobiography. And it did, to my great surprise, <laughs> it did reveal something that I had not considered before. Now, um, I'm Lebanese, born and raised in Canada. But when we were very young, my parents lived for a while in Lebanon, came and lived in Canada. So we were back and forth between the two countries. Until 1975, I would have been about 12, 10, whatever, around that age, my family came back when the Civil War started to stay in Canada. Now, my father, when he came, said, well, the Civil War thing, it's just a temporary thing. It's not going to last. It'll just blow over. And so he left all of his money, all of his assets, left everything there thinking, not a big deal. I'll just come back when it calms down a bit, get everything, and then bring it to Canada. That didn't happen. The Lebanese Civil War lasted for 25 years. And the money, the currency, devalued. So whatever he had in the bank lost all value. And here he was in Canada having to start again with a wife who was ill, unwell, and four children, four young children, all under the age of 10. So my father, as an entrepreneur and a hardworking man, um, he never believed in working for anyone else. My father is definitely the, the entrepreneur at heart. He opened up, those of you, who, how many of you are actually from Ottawa? I lived in Ottawa, okay. Elgin Street on McLaren and Elgin. If you remember, there was a national bank on that corner and a Lebanese restaurant called Feirouz. Well, beside the restaurant Feirouz was a little grocery store, convenience store called Max Milk, Mike's Milk, he called it Mike's because he didn't want whatever to do with Max. It was Mike's Milk, okay? And he owned that store and he built it up and made it into a successful small business. And he kept saying to us growing up, I am working this way. I am working hard and with my hands and with my time so that you don't have to be this way. I want you to go get an education and become professionals, doctor, lawyer, engineer, you know, the sacred trinity and, <laughs> and not have to do this. But we as children, we're all expected 
to step in and help for free because that is what family does after all. You all help one another and you don't ask for money. Now, at the age of about 16, he gave me the keys to the store and on Sunday mornings, he slept in. Of course, he was working long 18-hour shifts. He slept in and I was going in to, I drove myself, my sister and I, well, the four of us, we went down to the store, downtown Elgin. I drove us there. I opened the store, I had the key, turned everything on, made sure we had the stock, uh, gave cash and change back. Back then, the cash register didn't tell you the exact change, so I had to be doing the calculations in my head, so I had to make sure that I was doing the right thing, customer service, always smiling, everything okay, all of that. And keeping an eye on my brother and sisters, because we were all eating the inventory, to be truthful. <laughs> that literally was like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> oh, chocolate bar, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> that part of it was great. However, the other part of it was, we didn't get any money. What did that instill in me? What did that put inside of me? What that instilled in me was this belief that my knowledge, my time, has no worth and has no value. That's what it put in me. That here I am doing all of this, but in his mind, in his eyes, it's not something valuable. It's not something that is worth paying for. It's not something worthy of receiving fair compensation. Now, what is here as an adult, what is my number one greatest tribulation as a businesswoman and as an entrepreneur myself? setting an hourly rate to say, this is my hourly fee. This is what spending that one hour with me is going to cost you. And not to back down and get, okay, I'll drop it if I see that the person is waffling, and to walk away when I feel that, okay, they're not giving me what I'm worth, so I'm going to do that. Do any of you relate to this? This idea of charging what you're truly worth? And I'll justify reducing my rate in so many ways. And it's beautiful. Oh, they're a charity. <laughs> it's a charitable organization. Um, it's an NGO. Um, they don't have budget this year. This times are really rough. They're not collecting as much. I will justify it in a million and one ways so that I will give my time for free rather than valuing my time and knowledge. What's underneath all this giving it away for free? Underneath it is that layer that says, my time is not valuable. My knowledge is not valuable, so it's okay to give it away. That was a very powerful revelation for me when I was doing this exercise because I thought, wow, I thought I had done all the work, but this one, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one because I'd always felt that little bit of, why am I having a hard time you know, saying this and I'll stick to it? Why do I keep waffling on that? And it, fi it finally brought me a clarity around this whole situation and I was able to do the healing work right away on it because I under finally understood it. I saw it and I could deal with it. And that brought me relief. The key takeaway from that is who I am matters. What I offer matters. What I say matters. And I am worthy. That is coming down to the hero's journey. What the hero is trying to come to it's try the hero is trying to come to an understanding of who they are, of who they are. And this is what these exercises have done for me in this process. What I liked, um, before I forget this, in this whole process that you're doing this, um, she says, 
you're not here, and I really appreciated that, you're not here to just analyze all these things that happened, you know, you're not here to think, psychoanalyze yourself and, you know, my father and why was he like that and why, because that's a, that's a black hole, I'll tell you. That can suck you down and you have no way of coming back out and really dealing with what's going on and moving forward from that because you're not here to keep analyzing it, you're here, you're here to see it. See it, observe it, and then move forward from it. And this is what she has to say about that. She goes, you're not here to analyze yourself, but you are here to observe yourself and your relationship with money. It is the first step in mastering the energy of money. And I can't tell you how true that this resonates for me right now. So I encourage you to not only read the book and flip through it like I was going to start doing, saying, yeah, 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 whatever, um, but to take the time to dedicate the space and to dedicate the energy, because this is energy and this is effort, to sit down and to do the exercises. Perhaps it will begin this afternoon, right after the session that we have today. And to really use that time to go inwards. And if there is a twinge of something that comes up, if there's a discomfort, if there's a feeling, if there's a memory, those are your clues. Those are your clues to say there is work that you need to do to simply address your relationship with money so that you can come to a place of peace with it, so you can have a relationship with money that is more harmonious and more balanced. And so with that, I thank you all once again for listening to my little stories. <laughs>